0: We are wrapping up our series today, The Head and the Heart. And throughout these weeks, we've been talking about the importance of loving God with all of our mind, our head, all of our thoughts and intellect, and all of our heart, all of our emotions and our our passions. Loving God fully with both of those things together. Um, The reason for that is that it's God's plan and His design for us That the mind and the heart operate fully together in worship of him and in service to him and also in impacting other people. And that both the head and the heart would be fully yielded to God, not independent or isolated from one another like we so often do, like we're so prone to do. And we've explored uh, the different aspects of that and the importance of that. And the other thing that I really believe it's important that we understand and that we apply to our lives, is the fact that when we love God with all our mind and heart, that means that we will submit to his rule over our thoughts and our emotions. All of them, all the time. Uh, that means we're not going to say, this part of me is off-limits to you, God. I'll, I'll worship you and I'll glorify you in all these other areas of life, but not this over here. That's mine. We're going to say, if we love God fully with our, our whole mind and our whole heart, that it's all yours, God. Like we just sang, it's all to you. It's all for you. Uh, every aspect of my being, every fiber of who I am, the thoughts, the emotions, the actions, everything, it's all yours. And, and we want you to rule over it, God, because we know that's the only way that we're going to fully love you with our mind and heart. That's what we're saying when we submit Our mind and our heart to the Lord. And when we say, I love you, Lord, we're saying, I want you to rule over me. So we need to understand that. But what does that look like? We agree with that. We recognize the need for that. But what's that look like? What are the results of a life that does love God with all our mind and all our heart? Well, when it comes to loving God with all our mind, the results of that happening in our lives is, first of all, we're going to have right thoughts. We're going to have right thoughts. We'll think the right way. And there's different aspects of that. There's different areas that that affects. And if we do that, if we love God fully with all our mind, we'll have right thoughts first and foremost about God. We'll think correctly about him and we'll respond to him the right way in our thoughts. We'll, we'll think properly and we'll understand rightly who and what he is and who and what he is not. That's really important because sometimes we have the tendency to build up in our minds certain opinions perspectives about God that are based in either tradition, human tradition, or our own past experiences, or perhaps what we have heard incorrectly taught uh, throughout different experiences and and different situations. And over time, those things build up, and they build up, and they build up. It's kind of like those nasty things that are in your shower, you know, that soap scum that just builds up and builds up. If you don't deal with it and it's there and then you're afraid to even go in there to take a shower, like you're afraid it's going to attack you, you know. Or those times where you don't go to the dentist for a long time and you're sitting in the chair and the hygienist is like holding back screams as she's working on your teeth, you know. Uh, It's the same kind of thing with our perspective toward God. If we're not careful over time, erroneous doctrine and and the wrong way of looking at God the wrong perspective assumptions and presumptions can all build up and it can clog our thinking and it can clog our mindset toward God but if we approach God objectively and if by the spirit's power we love him fully then what that's going to do is it's going to correct our thinking about him we're going to see him as he is And the illusions of of what we have built up about him that really aren't true, they're going to fade away. The more we love God, the closer we get to him, the more we know about him in our mind, we're going to have right thinking about him, understanding who and what he is and who and what he is not. We're also going to be able to have right thoughts about ourselves. If we love God fully with all of our mind and we allow him to shape and form and inform our mind, we'll also have right thoughts about ourselves. What I mean by that is we'll have a right personal perspective and a proper personal perspective. We won't think about ourselves higher or lower than we should. And often we land on on one of those, and at various times we'll be one or the other depending on what's going on. Sometimes we have a lofty opinion of ourselves. Sometimes we're our biggest fan, right? We're not only the a member of our fan club, we're the president. Other times, though, we view ourselves far lower than we should, and, and we have a very incorrect view of ourselves as far as our limitations and and our lack of value, and our, our lack of importance, which is not healthy either. Neither of those extremes are healthy. Thinking too highly of yourself is wrong, and, and definitely not what God would have us to think, but neither is, is having too low of a perspective or an opinion of yourself. Um, we need to remember that we are loved so much that God gave His only Son for us. And in Christ, we are seated with Him in the heavenlies, so think of yourself through the lens of the gospel is really what I'm saying. And that happens as we love God fully with all of our mind, all of our thoughts. Loving God with all of our mind means that we will want to know his word better. We'll love it, we'll cherish it, we'll value it, we'll want to know it what it, what it has to say about him and what it has to say about us. And as we do that, as we come to his word, as we know it, as we ingest it and are saturated by it more and more than what's going to happen, church, is we'll base our identity, who we are, what we are, we'll base that on who we are in Christ. And it's the Word of God that shows us that. It's the Word of God that reminds us who we are in Christ. That means that our standing before God our favor from Him, our our being loved by Him, it's not based on our worth or our lack of worth. It's not based on what we have done or what we have not done. Our worth, our value, our love and acceptance is based fully and tied forever to the person and work of Jesus. And as we come to His Word and we see that and we know that and we believe that, we'll start to base our identity on who we are in Christ and we'll see ourselves the way the Father sees us through his son Jesus. You know that when God the Father looks at us which is constantly his eye is always on us and as he sees us here in our routines and our lives and our circumstances in our triumphs and our victories as well as our failures and our low points do you know that the Father never sees you for who you are in yourself or or as you are in your humanity if you're in Christ. The Father, in all of His holiness, in all of His majesty, in His perfect righteousness, when He sees you, believer, He sees the righteousness and beauty and splendor and merit of His Son, Jesus. So we need to see ourselves through the lens of that as the Father sees us. And that not only keeps us in a, in a right attitude about ourselves, that also should be a motivation for living for God and not ourselves. And all this happens as we love God fully with all of our mind, all of our thoughts. The other aspect that loving God with all our mind affects is that it will give us the right perspective, the right thoughts, The right attitudes towards other people. We'll think correctly about other people and their need, uh, what they have going on in their life. We'll have a right perspective and attitude. We'll see people the way we know we are, you know, fallen humans in need of grace, in need of mercy, in need of love, in need of a Savior. The more we see God for who He is, the more we understand what He has made us in His Son, the more we should. Be gracious toward other people. Realizing we're all in the same boat, where we all have the same need—a savior and constant, moment by moment forgiveness. We'll remember that none of us have it all figured out. That's such a, a lie and and such a foolish thing to try to pretend, isn't it? Uh, I've got this. This thing called life. I've got this. I don't have issues. I used to, but I don't anymore. Liar. Man, we are all a mess every day. And being saved gives us the answer through that mess, and it gives us hope through that mess, and it gives us strength to go through that mess called life and and called humanity. But it doesn't change the fact that we're still in it. I mean, we still wear this skin, and it's still prone to failure and pride and selfishness and sin. We're all in the same situation, the difference between the saved and the lost is that we, the saved, have recognized the only hope we have is in Jesus, and we've yielded to that, that hope. It's the only thing that separates us, and so it will inform the way we think about other people. It should make us more understanding, more gracious, more long-suffering, and it should also make us more aware of needs, true significant needs that are in the lives of other people, that we recognize and that we understand and that we begin to think about how we can meet those needs and how we can go to work on that. So all this comes from having the right attitude, the right mindset, which comes from loving God with all of our mind and allowing Him to rule our whole mindset. And all of that, that right perspective in the mind, and the head, leads to having a right heart. So what are the results of loving God with all our heart? Well, first of all, we will have balanced emotions. Balanced emotions. And uh, this is huge because we we know the trouble that emotions can get us into. Emotions aren't necessarily a bad thing, you know, by themselves. It's like most of the things in life. It's what we do with them or what we don't do with them that makes them bad or good. Um, but so often we are off balance in our emotions, and some of us more than others, but we all have that ability, we all have that tendency. And loving God with all our heart, just as loving God with all our mind means giving our whole mind to him, allowing him to rule it, loving God with all our heart means I, I give God all my heart. I give him my emotions. I give him all of those tendencies that I have towards certain emotions. I give it all to him, and I say, please, you rule this, you take this. And you rule it. And that's a direct result of loving him with all of our heart. And when we do that, we'll have a balanced emotions. That means right emotion, proper emotion. It means we'll have passion in a good way in our relationship with God, which means that we won't be dependent on emotion as we come to God, that we won't be ruled by how we feel or don't feel. But it also means we won't be afraid of expressing real passion and emotion toward God. We won't be afraid of worshiping Him passionately out of an overflow of a truly grateful, joy filled heart when we realize all that He has done for us and all that He is. And we see that gap, you know, between who we are and who He is. But we see that through the gospel, that gap was closed forever that it should fill us with such joy and such gratitude that we can't help but be passionate in our worship toward God. It also, as I said, though, means that we're not going to be ruled or dominated by the varying emotions. You know, some days you don't feel saved. Know what I'm talking about? Someone does. (laughs) You know what? You're not alone. We all do. We're just not, a, we're not willing to, to voice that. Um, <laughs> we all know what, what that's like. To not feel in the emotional level, you know, as close to God or maybe as saved as you felt before in the right circumstance, in the right situation when everything was just going great. You know, yeah, when, when everything's going wonderful and everything's lined up the way you feel it should be, yeah, you can lift your hands in praise, but when... Things are opposite of that. Can you still do it? That's the question. It's a question before all of us. And there are just times where, I mean, it's a Monday. You know what I mean? Like Sunday was great, but it's Monday in every sense of the word. And, and it's those days where you get out of bed and it's like, oh, oh t- man, where, where, was, where, where is all that positive emotion and joy that I felt yesterday? Where is it? And sometimes those days string together and they become weeks and months, maybe even years. And so the question before each of us is, what is going to rule our emotion? Is it going to be the emotion itself or is it going to be the God over all of that? Are we going to allow him to rule that? And as we do that, we'll be freed to find joy even in hard circumstances, Not just giddy, perky happiness. That's not really what joy is. Joy is sustaining. Joy is an anchor that is not affected by the things going on, the swirling storms around it. And that only comes from being anchored to God and from our heart being anchored to Him. And we'll do that as we love Him fully with all of our heart. And with that, worshiping Him passionately, you know, that I I was just talking about, that we're freed to do when we realize all that we have from God, all that that He is and and all that we're not, and yet how much He loves us. I need to make sure you understand, I'm not saying that that should ever come from a uh, self-centered or performance-focused motivation. That's not the case. And that's not what um, a true heart of praise will ever be about. If we have a true, sincere heart of praise to God, and our, our passion is rightly focused, then the focus will never be on us. We'll never want it to be. It'll never be about performance or letting people see how, how much we can worship God with all of our being. I mean, that's like the, the, the Pharisee that stood off to the distance when he prayed and said, Oh, I thank you, God, that I am not like one of these sinners. I mean, that we would be doing the same thing, you know, but when we have a, the right perspective, the right alignment in our heart with God, then as we praise him passionately, that passion will never be about, look at me, look at me, it'll be about, God, I don't care who's around me, I don't care who's seeing me right now, it's you and me, it's an audience of one God, and I'm going to praise you with my whole self. It's like David, you know, dancing before the Lord, and, and he got really into it. And to the point where his wife was really embarrassed to be married to him. I mean, because, man, he just was, he he was so into stripping himself of everything that could get in the way of worship that he actually visibly expressed that. David actually stripped down to to the skivvies. And he was just dancing before the Lord passionately. And his wife was like, are you kidding me? You're the king. Put some clothes on. And you know what David's response was? stick around, babe, I'm going to be even more undignified than this. He didn't care. The the focus was so much on his God, and his heart was so swelled with worship to him, it didn't matter what other people thought or saw, even his own wife. Now, I'm not advocating in any way, shape, or form that we do that. Kids and adults don't try this at home, okay? My point is, when we love God fully with all of our heart and we have the right alignment there, then we should be able to passionately, joyfully, exuberantly praise God. And the reason we're free to do that is because we're not concerned about what other people are thinking or saying. We're not worshiping them. You know, we're not performing for them. It's for the Lord. Well, we will also have a proper balance in the emotional aspect of our relationships with other people. Uh, That's also what's going to happen. Uh, As far as this balance, emotion is concerned, we're going to have the proper balance in the emotional aspect uh, in our relationships with other people. And we know that that often can get us into big trouble, you know, that whole emotional component with our relationships. Um, We insert foot into our mouth quite a bit. We say the wrong thing or we say it the wrong way in the heat of a moment and then we're in trouble. You know, we all have been there. Um, But as we're properly aligned with God in our heart, as He rules our heart, as we love Him with all of our heart, then we're going to be able to love others with His love. We're going to have other people in our hearts in a manner that God has people in His heart. We're going to love them the way He does. Uh, We'll have a heart of compassion toward them the way God does, the way God has a heart of compassion toward people, one that is moved deeply by their burdens and pain. We talked last week about Jesus when he saw the the multitudes, and the, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion toward them because he viewed them as sheep lost without a shepherd, harassed. And the closer we get to God, the more our heart loves His heart fully and the more our heart is like His heart, then the more our heart will be moved the way His is toward other people, toward their needs, towards their burdens and their pain. And our heart will be moved to not just sit by and notice it. Our heart will be moved to do something about it. Our heart will want to jump in to action and actually be part of the solution, not just recognizing it. So, what all that means, what all that leads us to, is knowing and understanding this, that right thinking and right feeling together will result in right acting and right doing. Right thinking and right feeling will result in right acting and right doing. The way we have right thinking and feeling, as we've said, is by loving God with both the head and the heart and that church that will always, always result in action. Because we can't have a right mind and heart focused on God and remain content with living for ourselves or being closed off to the world around us. They're, they're not compatible. We're not going to be able to love God fully with our mind and our heart and then just remain fine with living just for me and, and me alone and being closed to all the needs and concerns around me. That's not gonna happen. It's always gonna result in action. I wanna turn your attention with that in mind to James chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 14 through 26. James 2, 14 through 26. I love James. If you, don't, if you haven't read James in a while, read James. Study James. It is absolutely brilliant. I mean, the whole Bible is, of course. But James, man, it just, it's just like a constant one-two punch. And we need that sometimes. We need the bluntness and the directness of James. So starting in verse 14, here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters... So he's talking to us, talking to the believer, the church. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? It's a good question. Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister... Here's an example he gives to prove his point. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food... And one of you says to them, in other words, they come up to you or you are around them. You see this need. This is before you. You recognize that you're in the vicinity. You're aware of this directly and personally. They lack clothes and daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace. Stay warm. Be well fed. Hey, sorry about the fact that you have no clothes on. Sorry about the fact that you haven't had a a good meal in who knows how long, but man, I wish you well. Hope you find some food. Hope you find some clothing, because it's cold out here. But you don't give them what the body needs. In other words, it's within your power, it's within your means to provide for the need you see before you. But you don't do that, you just say this meaningless well-wish, right? You don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith. In other words, that's good for you to have all the faith in the world. And I have works, so let's just separate the two. You know, you, you have your faith, I have my works. That's how I base my relationship with God on. It. It's, it's works, you have faith, I have works. You know, we're, we're both good. Someone says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. In other words, oh, good job. You hear the sarcasm there? You believe that God is one? Oh, good for you. Yeah, it's nice. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So in other words, What good really is just having a belief in God? Even the demons do that. Senseless person? Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now let me pause. This is not as some have supposed throughout the centuries, a contradiction within God's word. This is not a contradiction with what what Paul says in Romans chapter 4 and onward. This is not at all a, a contradiction. They are not at odds. Rather, what James is doing here is he's connecting the points that Paul was making. He's connecting the thoughts. He would never in any way advocate, or is he advocating here, that you are saved, that you are made right with God by doing stuff, by works of righteousness. That's not what he's saying at all. He is saying that salvation, he would agree with Paul, salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. But if that is true of you, then it will absolutely and must result in works of righteousness to back that up. It's validated. The faith you profess is validated by the things that you do for God and for others. That's what he's saying. Just to clarify on that. Then he gives another powerful example. Verse 25. In the same way, just like he was saying with Abraham, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works? In other words, proving her justification. That's really what this is all saying in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route. And here's the clincher of it all, verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, without the life breath is dead, which we all know, so also faith without works is dead. In other words, we can say the right thing all day long. We can use the right words. We can profess and profess and profess. But if there's not action to back up what we profess, then the profession is meaningless and useless. And I, would, I say it this way. We're saved by faith alone, apart from works. But saving faith works. We we will always be saved by faith alone, apart from works. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It will always be beyond us. But once we come to Christ alone, by faith alone, and receive salvation, then true saving faith, a faith that really is saving us, will always produce and result in works of righteousness, works of holiness, works of service before him and to other people. It will define us. And what that means in another way, looking at it from another angle, is that God wants us to put our theology into motion and our faith into action. It's what God calls us to Theology is important. Doctrine is extremely important. Having faith in Christ is absolutely essential for salvation. All that is true. But God wants us to take all that theology that we know and that we learn, that we discover, and and all that that doctrine that takes root in in our minds and our hearts and the faith that we have, and he wants us to take all that, put it into motion, put it into action. That's what he calls us to. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? You know it. Make you free, or set you free. And that's true. But here's the thing, church. He does not want it to stop with us. That freedom that the truth gives us, the truth that we know that makes us free, he doesn't want it to stop with us. He wants us to take the truth and the freedom that we know and share it with others. So, here's a reality check for you, okay? Warning, warning, reality check ahead. Jesus said in Luke twelve forty eight, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return, and when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And here's the thing, here's what that means for us, okay? Reality check moment. Here in this church, Faith Baptist, there is so much wisdom. Real, pure, godly wisdom. It's amazing. And there is so much knowledge um, in terms of biblical knowledge and, and practice. In other words, what God says and and how do we incorporate that into life. There's so much of that. This church is wealthy when it comes to having biblical godly wisdom and a godly heart and and an understanding of the doctrines of the faith and the theology of the Word of God. I mean, we are rich in that for the most part. Um, There are certainly exceptions to that, but that's very much the majority of the case here. In fact, we have so much knowledge and wisdom and experience in the Christian life represented here. The church, we should not be able to keep up with the amount of participation by our people, in continually passing on that knowledge of God and, and that love for Him to other people inside and outside the church. We shouldn't be able to keep up with it. Like, we should have so much of that going on constantly, just passing on what we know and what we've learned and passing on the love for God that we do have. That should be happening so much that we, we don't even know where to, to start or where to look or how to gauge it. Some specific realistic examples of what I'm talking about and what that should look like here here in our church is, is this. Let me just give you a few. Um, one example that comes to my mind is that we should have, again, with with all that we have, like with all that has been given to us, all that's been entrusted to us, all that we know. Okay, that's 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 the umbrella. And what that should look like practically is that we should have a steady flow of more and more people committing to being part of the different Christian education options that we have uh, here in this church throughout different times of the week, which we list in the bulletin each week. We list the different... Christian ed options for service and ministry that we have going on here at this church. We list that each week and we often announce the needed vacancies in staffing that we desperately need filled. We announce that over and over. And because of all that we have in the wealth of biblical knowledge and experience represented in this church, we should just be inundated with that. We should have a steady flow of more and more people wanting to jump in and being part of that. Where Pastor Scott should be able to have like three and four rotations of teams of people rather than struggling to fill one rotation every month or every quarter. I mean, that's just one example. It also should look like um, people coming up to me or Pastor Scott all the time asking about or telling us about uh, a new small group, or a new Bible study class, or a new discipleship group that that they, they, you, not us, want to start and lead. You know, not like, hey, uh, I've been thinking we should have such and such a ministry, we should have such and such a group, and we sit there and we think, hey, that sounds great, yeah, look. what do you think the next step is? Well, I don't know. Oh, so you're not saying you're going to lead it? <laughs> no. No, we just want to tell you about it. No, no, it, it shouldn't be that way. It should be people coming up to us saying, Hey, God has laid this on my heart. I want to see this happen, this new group, this new ministry, this new class, whatever you fill in the blank. Hey, can I start that? Can I lead that? Can, can you help me with the resources that I need to lead that, to begin that? In addition to that happening consistently, those, those examples, um, church, there should also be so many people eager to jump into the opportunities that we provide to engage our surrounding community with the love and the truth of the gospel that we already know that we have to turn people away. Like, there should be so many people jumping into that and plugging into that that we should just be, like, stampeded. Because of all that we do know and all that we have by way of spiritual resources in this congregation. And incidentally, we have two such opportunities um, coming right up. You've heard me talk about it week after week. Trunk or treat this Wednesday. Pastor Scott, do we still need 15 trunks? Is that still needed? or Okay, so... 10 to 15 trunks still needed. We still need some extra candy. still need people for that incredibly important prayer booth that we want. So that's, that's Wednesday. Uh, then we've got the Thanksgiving supplies outreach that I've been talking about, where we want to provide such a meaningful experience for people that they're not going to forget. And when they ask us why, it's because of Jesus. That's the answer. Two very specific opportunities of what I'm talking about here. How's that for great timing? Right? Now listen, please, please understand, church, hear me. I am not calling, I'm not calling for people who already do these things to do more. I promise I'm not trying to burn you out, okay? Nor am I asking for people who are physically limited to do something they just can't do. Not what I'm asking for. I'm calling. For believers who are just sitting on the sidelines to get in the game. Come on, your number's been called already. And the fact is the fact is the Christian life was never meant to be a spectator sport. Never. Let's pray. As that was, was a heavy challenge, but please know that was given in love, in true, sincere love for you. For you, the people of Faith Baptist, for you, the people of God, for you, the body of Christ. Because we're called to action and loving God fully with all of our mind and all of our heart, loving him with the head and the heart, it requires action action is required for every believer in christ for everyone who does truly say oh i love god i love him with all my mind i love him with all my heart okay then action is required to back that up and a big big way that we go about doing that action is in the context of the local church both evangelistically to the world outside of the church and in terms of discipleship with those in the church. And we've got a lot of people that do that. I mean, I... I acknowledge that and I thank you those of you who serve week in, week out, faithfully you do disciple you do teach the younger generation you pray with people you mentor people thank you I'm not saying that's not happening I'm just saying with all the spiritual experience and knowledge that we have it should be happening much, much more and in even newer ways than it has already So I'm just calling you to think about that. I'm calling you to action out of love for you so that you will find yourself in obedience to the call on your life as a Christian and so that you'll find the blessing and the joy and the fulfillment of what it is to serve the Lord in these ways, to reach out and impact others in his name. There's really no greater joy and I want that for you and I want that for this church. I'm going to pray for all of us And then we will um, have a closing song of just some reflection, and then we'll be wrapped up. Father, thank you for your word, for the relevance of it, for the impact of it on our lives. Thank you for showing us through your word, first who you are, what you are, and what you're not, to correct our wrong thinking where that is needed. But then it shows us, once we come to Christ, it shows us who we are in Christ, and I thank you for that. May that inform our mind. May that inform our heart. And as we love you with all of our mind and love you with all of our heart, please, Father, by your Spirit, help us to translate all that over into action, into loving people the way you love them and relating to people the way you would have us to relate to them, the way you relate to us in keeping our mind, our thoughts and our emotions in check and then also in reaching out beyond ourselves to a world very much in need first of all spiritually with the gospel the only thing that will free them but also with the physical because you love and care for the whole person and so should we please by your spirit speak to each of us letting us know how and where and when we can plug into what you're doing here at this local corner of your kingdom. Guide us and lead us and help us to be obedient to your leading. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.